The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. You hear that, girl? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, your number one source for news, theories, discussion, and interviews with people from the Potter books and films. I know a small amount myself, having written the books. My name is Jakey Rowling. I am now happy to introduce your hosts, Melissa, John, and Sue. And Brack. Well, welcome to the beginning of Year Five. Potter oh, oh my god. Were you five? God. Oh god. I don't even know. Not for me. Well, Frank, whatever. You're close. It, it's you, But you've been well listening, been though, right, Frankie? Oh, I've been you've listening since the beginning, yeah. So it's like. Has Frankie so? had his two wine for yet? No, February. September and February. You know, I still remember the day that we met you, and, and it was like we had known you forever. I just felt like it, unbelievably comfortable. Like, well, oh, it was awesome because we got to like share friends. You know what I mean? Like, and, yes. And all like all the Harry Potter props at Warner Brothers. It was awesome. That was a cool day. Anyway, welcome to the fifth year of Pottercast. This is Melissa, and I'm here with John, Frack, and Sue. Are your Pottercasters, and we've been doing this forever. So let's do it one more time. Hey. Yay! Yay. What's happening in this week's show, John? This is a very interesting and a very exciting show because uh, everything is brand new. Nothing you've ever heard before, including the second bit of episode five of the acting troupe, which is awesome. It was such a big episode. We had to split it in two. But in addition to that, brand new segment number one, Princely Pieces. Princely, that we're calling it? Of Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. We almost called it Half Blood Bits. <laughs> also, also referred to as Half Blood Bits. We'll take Half Blood Prince a bit at a time or a piece at a time. But then, this is exciting. This is something very new um, to the show. The four of us are going to take a little backseat on this one and introduce a new segment called The Potter Pundits. And they have their first episode for you. And I'm um, very interested to hear you guys' feedback on this. It's a new thing we're going to do probably once or twice a month. Can you give it a little... Okay, the Potter Pundits are people who are, let's say, more schooled in the yeah. mythologies. And and at least at least two of the, of the main pundits you guys have, have heard of, if you've gone to conferences, one of them is John Granger. They're frequent, they're frequent speakers at at events and they have a lot of a lot of great feedback around their presentations and i've been to a couple of their presentations so um they're all, really also authors the show also authors yeah. written yeah. books about harry potter and other things and i think some of them are professors hell they're 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 intimidating to me because i am the exact opposite of this where uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I pretend to know things and uh pretend to be smart and they don't have to pretend so it's really funny because when 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 we first you know heard the first segment, John said, "Well, they're they're, they're kind of going to make us look like idiots." <laughs> <laughs> but you still love us, right? It's been four years. You'll love us anyway, even though we're not as smart. <laughs> which is which is which is that's good that they should. They absolutely should. And maybe once in a while we'll go hang out with them so that they can teach us a little bit about. Oh, yes. um, that'd be so much fun. Yeah. All right. So hold on for that. Yep. And hold on that a bit. What else is happening? Well, I guess uh, before we go any further, we have to hear a word from our brand new sponsors, don't we? Oh! Do. What? Ah! 
Today's Pottercast is brought to you by collegefitness.com, the Woo. new free interactive health and fitness social network. <gasps> Fight the freshman 15 with collegefitness.com by creating and tailoring video workouts with its patented workout generator. This fall, collegefitness.com will also bring you applications on the Apple iPod Touch and iPhone to help you keep fit. It also has the largest nutritional database in the U.S., as well as quick options for restaurants and menus in your area. Register right now at collegefitness.com. That that sounds so awesome. I already yeah, I, they're, I've been looking for stuff like this from the phone forever. No, honestly, honestly. the the iPhone thing makes you really excited because I take it to yeah. the gym with me whenever. All right, time for the show. Time for the show. Where should we start? How about some news from the Sues? And now we turn to regular contributor for an update on how the new Wizarding Order is affecting the Muggle world. I have a statement for you all. <laughs> What? Uh-oh. Dan Radcliffe does not want to be a hobbit. See, I oh. really thought he did. And, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I know it's what if, tragic. What if, the, what if the director decided that in this hobbit nobody would wear clothes? Would that make it more interesting? <laughs> nope. He does not even want to be a nude hobbit, John. Oh, he's nuts. already done. He's already done. Oh, nude there's quite there's quite the market for nude hobbits out there. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. There have been on the Internet, of course, uh, every time that they make a movie, there's always a bunch of <laughs> casting speculation. And, um, uh, of course, they are making the um, – I'm, I'm not even – Somebody in the chat – I don't mean to interrupt you, but somebody in the chat, it's Dean, of course, says he's 5'5". Five five, he already is a hobbit. Oh. <laughs> I would love to be 5'5". Five five. How tall are you, Melissa? Oh. You're not three and a half feet. No, she's 5'3". <laughs> <five, five, laughs> <three. laughs> This was this. The statement had to do was um, there was casting speculation for you know that they are making the uh, the film version of the Hobbit and Dan had of course had been bandied about to be cast in the part and he just said no he doesn't want any project to do with uh, be with wizards in it so but I just it was a story that you just there's such an intersection such a crossover between um, Lord of the Ring fans and and Harry Potter fans that I just I couldn't resist. Wait. wait. They wanted him to be in it, or people were just. No, like, it was just that he'd been widely speculated as one of the top, like top three people that they were going to cast in the part as as Bilbo. Oh, Bilbo! Where does the speculation start? It's somebody sitting in front of their computer going, "Well, maybe they'll get Dan Radcliffe," sure and then all of a sudden, the the press starts reporting uh-huh. widely speculated as Hobbit. You know, it just it was crazy. Oh, it was crazy. It went was mad. If, unless Peter Jackson was speculating, I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, but you know, Dan thought it would be good for James McAvoy. I guess that there is. Ian McKellen just said recently that they they have a part, pretty much somebody in mind, but it's not definitely not going to be Dan. He's done enough wizard stuff, so yeah. So that's cool. Um, and one other cast note too, I, I because people always complain that we don't talk about Mr. Rupert Grint. His uh, new film is going to be screening in Los Angeles at the Irish Film Festival. So if you all are out there and did not get a chance to see Cherry Bomb, now's your chance. Go for it. So when is that happening? Uh, I'm not sure of the date yet. On um, which day it's screening? It's uh, some like I think the weekend of the 17th in in September. Oh, is it? I don't, I don't know if you're gonna be there, but um, <clears throat> here here speaking, John, you might be interested in this. This is cool. Uh, more news from the theme park. Um, they Ooh. they hired a uh, a fog machine company. So it's going to, yeah, to make uh, these, they said that the, the company specializes in making nebulous walk-through fog banks. Whoa. Which I think For is cool. apparition? Yeah. Like that it says, think, 
It says, think of like Davy Jones effect at the beginning of Pirates of the Caribbean ride, you know, like it's all fog banks. All right. All that stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So I don't that's know if that's cool. for the Forbidden Forest or I don't know what they would use that for. Yeah, it could be a little bit everywhere. Who knows? I'm going to have a lot of, yeah. I'm excited to say that uh, next weekend I'll be going to Universal and mm-hmm. Islands of Adventure and Studios, taking a look-see, see what Good. there is to see, reporting back to you what I found. Will be very fun. Good because we just saw some pictures of like the towers of Hogwarts are going up. So good, John. I'll be excited to hear what you. And I've spot. seen so many pictures online. I think a lot of it is very visible from inside the park. Uh, take pictures from other from other areas. Um, the area immediately next to it on the one side is the Lost Continent, and uh, um, I don't know if they've closed down. Have they closed down the Dragon Roller Coaster? Because uh, I know that I, they were going to be retheming that. It, yeah, the dueling the dragons. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Because they showed it showed Workman on there the other day. That was like it was okay. closed, and he was just walking around on it. So yeah, that's okay. I don't know if it's working and still or not. Maybe it was just a temporary thing. But, oh, do it, John! No, that'd be cool. Exciting. Exciting. Um, here's exciting news. I don't know if we talked about this last week, really, because we had so much. But Warner Brothers is finally, finally going to release extended editions of the DVDs. Yes. Yay. It's about time. <laughs> what do they mean when they say extended editions? Is this what plays on, on ABC, ABC Family? My worn out VHS copy of the ABC Family version of Chamber of Secrets needs to be replaced by a new DVD extended version, the ultimate. I'm waiting. I'm totally waiting. I'm not buying these DVDs until the eighth movie is out and there's a set. That is what I will spend my money on. They, they well, should have kept quiet about this whole set nonsense because now no one's going to buy the DVDs. Well, but what they're doing out. though, they're doing those ultimate collector editions that are coming out like at the same time when the Hapla Prince comes out in in December, and I don't, yeah. and then they'll do it again too, just like you know the extended oh. stuff like Melly once after you know. Hapla you know what Deathly I Hallows. thought? What I was interested in was I read news somewhere that. James Cameron teamed up with some Chinese or some whatever company or whatever mm-hmm. to develop stuff for 3D television sets that apparently wow. are supposed to be coming in a few years. I'm thinking to myself, that's going to be around the time that they're going to be done and they're going to put out the last oh. movies on DVD. I wonder if we'll get like a 3D version of Harry Potter. I got to see a prototype of one of those TVs two years ago. Did you? you? Did. Where were you? Um, I don't know if I should say, but... I was, oh, it was when I was working on a, a movie with some friends from school, and we were talking to a special effects house who was going to handle some of the stuff for us. We were going to film in stereo, and we are going to rotoscope it. And so since we were Ooh. investing in stereo and the new RED camera, we got to see their their test stuff for their home 3D stuff. It's really interesting. Mm. Awesome. We can talk about wow. this later when we're not recording. Good. Uh, yeah, it was it was well con- considering this was like even before like the big boom like that happened in the last year and a half of 3D, you know, in the theaters like, and the book boom boom is still yet to come. You know, they're gonna they're really hyping up the whole 3D um, experience at the movie theater. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was really good. But it was something that involved. Well, yeah. So I my my understanding on this process is limited, but do you have to shoot it in a certain way to make that happen, John? I mean, because like would Christopher Columbus oh, when he filmed, you know, Sorcerer's Stone, would they've done enough to make it gonna, a feasible project? I'm going to embarrass myself if I guess, 
but no, yeah. I think to shoot properly, it's, it's I know to have both cameras on it. But Frankie, I mean, are there ways around it? Yeah, the um, you have to film in stereoscopic, which typically the new thing is they're they're they're, they're filming it um, vertically, like on top of each other, like one camera on top of the other. Traditionally, oh. they would film it adjacent, oh, okay. like left and right. But the new right. thing is for some reason doing top and bottom. Um, but the there is a way to adjust, like all the stuff we've seen in Harry Potter has been converted to 3D. It's a hand process that studios do, and you just basically you're adjusting the the foreground and middle ground and uh, background elements manually, screen by screen by screen by screen by screen. Oh. That's how they converted um, the they converted Star Wars into 3D. That's how they did. The Harry Potter. That's why you can notice, like in the fifth Harry Potter, when they're in the um, the, the Hall of Prophecy, right? yeah, and then like there's a shot that has the the trio like pointing their wands out. If you like, you'll notice that Emma Watson is in 3D, but her her hand isn't like because it's, it's like she's pointing at the camera, and so it's just her silhouette oh, that right. is 3D, not the fact that her hand is. And so mm-hmm. it's little things like that they can't really adjust when there's extreme like foreshortening, but it's pretty legit compared to the rest, you know. But if it's not filmed in 3D, it's it's just manually converted into 3D, which is very tedious. But for yeah, the most part, it looks. I would good. imagine. See, so I think that not, would be good. It's possible. I don't know if they could do that though for like Sorcerer's Stone and stuff. You know, these long. I don't know how feasible that would be for them to do that. I don't know. Well, I mean, they I, it's it's doable because they did it to like Star Star Wars and whatnot. Sure. And uh, Nightmare Before Christmas because that was filmed regular. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And like now, when it comes to like Toy Story and these three D generated ones, you can just oh, right. rerun those things through the process. So yeah, that's different. Oh, I'm so excited for those two. Toy Story one and oh. two come out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me fun. too. Anyway. All right, what's next on the news? Because we got uh, okay to get through in the show. Um, this is interesting, and this is kind of a book-related thing, sort of, slightly. Uh, Joe, <laughs> rumors are running rampant already, but Joe just updated, or somebody updated uh, JKRowling.com. What? Which they, yes, there was. I know she hadn't done this forever, but her diary is not a diary anymore. It says everything you might want to know. Hmm. Hey, I I believe that this means that. They are planning. I, I I think this means that there are, are updates on the Harry Potter front coming, and they're sort of just prepping for them. Yeah. You think Harry Potter it's front or the J.K. Rowling front? Oh, I think it means that she's done. Which is um maybe the J.K. Rowling front, but but usually, I mean, it sounds as though they're getting the site kind of ready for it getting hit hard. Right. So maybe maybe they've got some big announcement to make. I don't know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Maybe J.K. Rowling's going to announce what she's writing next. Who knows? Yeah, I thought it was kind of smart, though, that, you know, to didn't to change it from a diary means that she's not going to be actively updating all the time, but that's a place where we can get news. So I, I, I agree with you, Melissa, on that. Now, whether or not it's a Scottish book, because that's what immediately everyone was going crazy. Want. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Probably not the Scottish I don't think it's a Scottish book. book. I say this every time I hear it, but I just love that it's now called the Scottish book by everyone. It is. It is. I just, I love that. <laughs> we just want the answers to those wombats. If, I mean, people email about this all the time. I, I don't know when they're going to come. I would much prefer hearing she was going to publish another book. Yeah. I can wait on the wombats. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, but oh. I never took the wombats. I did. On I was so excited, but I didn't do well. I only got acceptable. 
I was honestly just kind of afraid of like doing really poorly, so I never wanted to take. They were really hu- they were hard, hard, man. They were like an SAT. I for... saw some of the example questions, and I was like, "What the hell? Who knows these things?" Yeah, yeah. They were. You had to use. It was. It was total. It was your total like graduation test from being a Potter fan or something. Yeah. You know, you, was you there to be a Potter pundit failures? Things right. I got there, an outstanding on mine. I didn't get that, so I'm wondering if like <laughs> I got the lowest possible, but she just being nice and gave everyone who had failed accepted. No, she addressed that once. She said that nobody failed. There were rumors that nobody fails, but people people did right, fail. Right. Okay, well that makes me probably just nobody said they failed. Of course, admit the failing. I did one once I though to see if I could get a troll. So. I did just to try and get a troll. I did. Tried to get a troll. I did just to see if I get it, and I didn't. I got like a D or an acceptable or whatever it was. I mean, you probably have to do. Pretty, 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 pretty poorly. Yeah. Just call people trolls. Caroling Joe can. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. E-e- here we go. Spoiler warning for anyone that does not want to know anything about Deathly Hallows. Stop listening, and we'll tell you when you Deathly know. What? You know. <sighs> you know what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Say it. Our audience. I don't know why you're listening. If you don't think you're going to get info about Deathly Hallows. <laughs> There you go. Okay. There, I said Let's it. Let's punch him in the face, too. Hey, info. put your face really close to your speaker. <laughs> nice. You get. Nice. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sue. Okay, we have, there was a, There has been a lot of Deathly Hallows filming news in the last couple, even though it's not like super jumbo stuff, it's all adding up. And so if you don't want to listen, okay, but it's really cool. Uh, first, we know that the Green God scenes are going to be filmed in October, as we've learned mm-hmm. that they've even cast a part of a guy named Mike Evans, or Mike Edmonds, excuse me, gave an interview and he said he's going to be one of the goblins charged with guarding the bank. Mark Evans, what? He's important after all? Uh, yeah, he's just like, you know, like a regular guy, and he did a, a casual interview. But they actually cast a... Oh. I said Mark Evans. Oh, Mark Evans! Oh, my God! Eee, I got it. He's, he's real. He is real. <laughs> so I love Wait, it. I see us geekly trivia people that live in Potter World would know who that is, Mark Evans, the rumor. Rack, do you know about Mark Evans? Mark Evans is that character she mentioned at one point, yes? Dead. Yeah, okay. We Okay. That's cool. Um, also, uh, Ivana had given an interview, and she said she was looking forward to the Lovegood house. Well, because we've heard a couple, there are several reports, fan reports that were online, and that the Luna Love the Lovegood house even has dirigible plums outside. Yay! Uh, What's dirigible? Oh, it's so cool. Is that just? Isn't a dirigible like an airship? Isn't it like a hovercraft? Dirigible. Is that what dirigible means? I guess. I don't know. And that's, it's just that they look like that. That's why they're called dirigible plums. Wait, they look know. like it's radishes. Just, cool names. Yeah, but I think a dirigible is, by def, I'm going to look it up. Um, but who knows a, like a, in the Lovegood world, Melissa, though? I mean, in the Lovegood world, what could it be? It's just a magical plant. Who knows? Well, because was it actually, yeah, exactly. And, and that's why, it, yeah, there it goes. Noun, an airship. Adjective designed for capable of being directed, controlled, or steered. <laughs> don't you see have That's airship plums i don't know funny. they're airship plums they're, they're <laughs> well i think it's the thing plums. being directed like opening your mind up to yeah. you know outside influence yeah. that's so cool but one of the things that they've got done frankie is happy the bust of rawina ravenclaw has been made ah! and i have the diadem it's going to be in there Woot, woot, woot. I want to see I'm what excited. she looks like. It better make her pretty. Um, you know, it's really interesting because now that there's Twitter, and this is a part that Melissa can help me back this up. Yeah, well, many of the actors are Twittering, but who Ooh. is not Twittering? Emma Watson. 
That's right. She's not. Is Dan Neither Twitter? Is... No. Not Twitter. Is and Rupert, Rupert Grint? No. Oh, okay. Does Rupert Grint? Wait, no. no. Rupert Grint doesn't. Rupert no. Grint, no. And neither does. But there are, but there are Twitters, mm-hmm. many of them, claiming to be these people who gather hundreds of thousands of people in their audience of people who think that they really are Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Dan Radcliffe. Mm. They are not. They are. Matt, Matt Lewis twists. Twists. Yes. What? Tweets. Twist. Tom Felton yeah. tweets. Yes. Um, the the uh, the Phelps twins tweet. Oh, they do. Do they? I don't, I don't follow yes. them. Yes. I do. Do they share the same Twitter account, or do they have their own accounts? Own accounts. Oh. <laughs> not but you know, like there was one. There was one recently that you know that Bonnie uh, Bonnie Wright does not have one. I mean, folks, you know how I knew. <laughs> do you do you know how I knew that it was fake? The Bonnie Wright one. No, huh? She followed me. It was I was like one of her first four followers uh-huh. or something, and sent me this 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 message. Thanks, it's so cool what you do for the fans and everything. And I'm like, you are not Bonnie Wright. Yeah, you are. You are not. <laughs> not that she's mean or anything, but but she's... that's not that would not be on Bonnie Wright's priority list. Like, I know at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was just really funny. I was like, I'm I, I'm not going to fall for this lady. So. <laughs> bye bye. See ya. What about bye-bye. Chris Rankin? Huh? Chris Rankin tweets. Chris Rankin Chris does. Rankin yes, tweets. and Warwick Dawit Warwick Davis does. And uh, Wait, who's that Chris was Rankin? one of the. Percy! I'm being mean. You're being mean. And no, MWTSNX, Emma Watson's supposed Twitter, is not her. She does not tweet. It is fake. If you ever, we get emails about that all the time. That one is fake. Fake, phony. And it's just, dis- like, phony. honestly, it's disgusting. You it see, is. You, you, I've, I've read that Twitter, and, it, and, it, and it's like, oh, so many dresses to pick for the premiere. I don't know. I'm so excited for the premiere. How do people sit there and pretend and, and, and try and, and fool somebody into something like that? The girl who plays yeah. Lavender Brown tweets. Yeah, yeah, Jesse Cave. Yeah, and um, um, Panty Parkinson tweets. All the Is actors. F- Which one? F- the new one. Was that really Panty Parkinson? You mean Scarlet Byrne? So. Was it Scarlet Byrne? So. That, that has to be Pansy. Who else would that be? Come on, She's so pretty. She's pretty. Uh, well, I know, but was she listed as Pansy? Is what I'm asking. Oh, no, I, I don't know. Molly Weasley, Julie Walters, what's her name? I, she tweets. I don't know. Uh, does she? Uh huh. Uh huh. Julie does tweet. That's awesome. I know that Jim Dale all, does. Uh-huh. Sure. Jim Dale, the the audio, and of course Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry does. So Fry is like, marvelous. Stephen Fry oh. tweets all the time. The smart person's Ashton Kutcher. Isn't he great though? To read that, it's just a marvelous, intelligent, witty. You never know. Sometimes it's just normal stuff. You know, like RC man. Really you know ridiculous. But other stuff, it's brilliant. You know who also tweets? Who, John? <laughs> Michael Gambon. <laughs> and you know what's cool about that? Is that he'll reply to you, but he won't read your tweets because he said he doesn't <laughs> no. need to. You were going... I was I was trying to that. figure out how to work with that. I'm like, how is he yeah. going to tie... Oh, that's close. He doesn't actually like, need oh, to read Oh, you know what's funny about it? He never reads your tweets. Or he never reads his own tweets. So funny, John. I just... Uh, you're yeah. hilarious. Okay. Well, Four years have taught us how to, how to so, anticipate So the things. legitimate ones that we just talked about, we've gained some really cool bits of knowledge about how the progress on, on filming is going. Tom Felton, in particular, is very forthcoming, and he's talking about recently, he's done a series, they are doing the room of requirement stuff, and he's talking about being in a harness, and how painful it is, and how many blisters and stuff, and it's really been, one day he was really upset, he was just like, you and I would be, we're having a bad day filming, you know, with something, and he was really honest, and, uh, you know, so I, I thought it was really cool, and Warwick Davis has confirmed that not only is he playing Flitwick, but he's also playing Griphook. 
Oh, cool. It's very cool. And John, you'll like this part. Oliver Phelps, who plays George Weasley, tweeted the or tweeted, excuse me, tweeted, tweeted the other day that he's the first actor in the UK to have a VX, B, VFX MOVA facial capture scan. Huh. Do you know what that is? I and would he imagine says, something to do with making a, a digital copy of his head so they mm-hmm. can get rid of his ear. Well, or or doing for the Seven Potters because I heard and we've from many reports that they are doing. They are morphing. All these guys are doing scans of themselves, and they're going to be acting in the Seven Potter scenes too. So they're doing it for all all the different. Uh, they're going to motion. Oh, really? Them. So they're going to. Oh, that is very yes. cool. That is very cool, and they're because they've been filming it for the last couple of weeks. So so Dan's on. not going to be playing Seven Parts then. Sounds like well, they're going to need to do that capture of Dan, so they can apply the other actors' anima- uh, facial movements to the digital, um, right? You know, version of Dan's head. I don't know right. if I like that. Interesting. Not natural. I think it'll be interesting to see how it's done. Well, if they I think can, it'll if be they really can pull cool. it off and have it look good, then awesome. Yeah. I just, I just hope it's not a situation where you have, you know, the the, the two of them act like the Polyjuice potion scene in Brain in the second film, where all of a sudden the real voices come out instead of Crab yeah. and Boyles. Yeah, it's going to be really easy to figure out which one is Jenny. Yeah, probably the one looking at the ground or looking around. <laughs> well, but that's confused. the thing. But, but that's the thing. It sounds like they are going to have to find some way to differentiate. Who they are, right? Because in the book, it can say Hermione's right. version of Harry, or you know, but you need to be able to say figure out who they are, right? So maybe they're not. Maybe they'll be mostly looking like Harry, but they'll have some characteristics. I mean, yeah. it'll be pretty obvious. I mean, when you have the two Harrys looking at each other, like, oh, like we're the twins, we do the twin jokes, and then like Hermione will yeah. be like the affectionate, like, oh, I'm you know acting like the mother here. I'm this Harry. Well, there's a there's a chance for some really great farce comedy if they oh if they, yeah if they do it right you know sure. but you know I mean but just think everybody else is there you know Fletcher Dung Fletcher and all those guys are there and Mad Eye and stuff so I think that scene is just going to be fabulous I really I just love it how they <sighs> how they completely raised the bar on how they'd film this like yeah like it could have been done in the same way where you know you'd have the same actor play different characters all at the same time on the on the same screen and that's we've seen that like. and that's fun but. That to do this is just hysterical because it's just a matter of because they can, as they're doing. See, it. that doesn't that bugs me. Well, bugs you know me. what though, Frankie, because the, one of the things that when if you were to look this up, that they said this um, FX has been used in Benjamin Button, and I don't know if this is means too that they could use it for the epilogue or not. I mean, that's one of the things that was been discussed. I don't that's know. Cool. If yeah, David Amon was discussing the, the epilogue when he said that that it was a lot of the stuff that that. Is from that they used in, in Benjamin Button, the kind of aging thing. Oh wait, doing. so wait, it's it's George who got his face scan, not Fred. It was George. That makes sense because he lived, so he could be an epilogue. They could admit that. Well, George has to have his ear hurt. Yeah, but so. yeah, yeah George is one. That's why, probably. You know, yeah. I don't. Know, I just. I, I don't do want to see seven back. digital Harrys. You know what I mean? It's like it's it, it, it that seems too intimate for them just to be have a computer version of him standing around the kitchen. Unless they really well, but, knock it up in quality, then that whatever I'm being. But who knows if they're really going to be standing around the kitchen? Right. That seems like something that's right. yeah. prime for True. modifying. I don't know. It just yeah. makes me. All I'm saying is it makes me a little nervous because it's like why reinvent the wheel when you can just film? Because Dan's good. Dan's great. You know what I mean? And why when you have the source material, why bother going through all that just to? I don't know. 
I, it's just the well, snobby artist in me. But if they yeah, do it well, right, you know, I'll eat my words. Well, you know, we heard some of, like from the other fan reports is that, you know, they're, they're making like FX, like, you know, like molds on their face. And in fact, we heard even when BBC was live on set that Dan had stuff on his face for the for the hexing scene. You know, Hermione hexed Harry when they're going to Malfoy Manor and they were recording that that day. And uh, so that's why they couldn't take pictures of, of him because you could see the um, stuff on his face. So oh, I crazy. think it could be a combination for both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all I got. Oh. That's all I got this that's week. All, that's all, Sue. That's it. There's that's it. That's it. <laughs> That's a lot, but what's next, John? What is next, guys? How about we jump into a little bit of um, how about some acting troupe? That sounds fun. Ooh. Yay! Finding the grey lady yet? Not yet, but I've got a few leads. Pass the bacon, would you, Al? Coming out flying after lunch, Rose. We could have a race. I'd love to, Scott. One of the Ravenclaw prefects told me that his older brother told him that he once saw the Grey Lady hiding behind a suit of armour on the fifth floor. I thought I'd go and check it out. You're wasting your time. That ghost doesn't want to be found. Are you really going to waste every minute of good flying conditions for the rest of the year running all over the castle looking for her? Yes, if I have to. I saved you some macaroni and cheese. Thanks, Leela. I'm absolutely starving. I've been standing outside your corner room since lessons finished this afternoon. Did you get to talk to him? Yes, and he was very helpful. I think I've finally got a plan that's going to work. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, excuse me? Who is there? Who dares to interrupt me at my prayers? I'm ever so sorry. My name is Rose. I'm a Ravenclaw. May I speak to you for just a moment? A child? A student? What are you doing here? Must I be on my guard now in the middle of the night as well? I need to ask you something really important. You will need to answer a question of mine first, impertinent child. How did you find me? It wasn't easy. I've been looking for your term. I asked all my teachers, but none of them knew. I think Professor Flitwick did, but he told me to respect your privacy. In the end, I got my friends to ask their own house ghosts where I might find you. They weren't nearly so difficult to track down. I see. And what answers did they receive? Well, first of all, my friend Al, who's in Gryffindor, asked nearly headless Nick. That imbecile. But he just looked scared and waffled some excuse about how he had to be somewhere. Indeed. And the next? Scorp. That's my Slytherin friend, who was too scared to talk to his house ghost at first. But when he managed to find the nerve, the bloody baron was no help either. Apparently he just clanked his chains even louder than usual and started bleeding out of his eyes as well as everywhere else. So Scorp ran away. I can't really blame him, to be honest. 
Then it was the priest who gave away my secret? The fat friar, you mean? He didn't want to at first. Leela, that's my friend in Hufflepuff. She told me where to find him. When I explained what I needed you for, and how important it was, he said... He said he thought it might do you some good. Did he? How extraordinarily helpful of him. That's when he told me that sometimes you come up and say your prayers on top of the astronomy tower at midnight. I've been lying in wait for you every night since. Your persistence, at least, is worthy of a Ravenclaw. You may ask your question. Thank you. I... I need a charm your mother created. That is all? For this you presume to interrupt my worship? All my mother's spells can be found in the library. They are shelved and categorized in perfect order. A true Ravenclaw, even the youngest, would have found what they needed in under five minutes. I have heard enough. I am disappointed. Nay, disgusted. Go away! This one isn't in the library. Honestly, I've looked everywhere. It's quite a special charm. I don't think it's ever been cast. Then it exists no longer. Of the thousands of spells she discovered and tested, my mother recorded each and every one. I should know. I helped her write them all down. Those which proved unsatisfactory she discarded and destroyed without trace. You are wasting my time. Be off with you. But she did finish it. She was satisfied. I'm sure of it. Please, let me just tell you the rest of what I know. I will hear no more childish ramblings. Did my mother give this charm a name? If your tale is all moonshine, you will leave me in peace. If it is in truth a complete spell, I will know of it from the name alone. It was called the Concordance Charm. She created it because- Hush! That is enough. I know it. Then you'll tell me where I can find it. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. I will not. What? Why ever not? Ridiculous child. You presume to cast the most advanced, most complicated charm my mother ever created? One that was designed to be performed once and once only, and then hold for as long as the walls of Hogwarts stood firm? Even if you had the talent, which I doubt, you would need to study and practice for years and years to succeed. Oh dear, I, I don't have years. I thought as much. Serious study requires the application and dedication. As you do not have it, our conversation is at an end. That's not what I meant. It's urgent, that's all. We're trying to heal the castle and keep it united, so your mother's school will continue for another thousand years. Isn't that good enough reason? That would be a noble endeavour. But my objection stands. It's a highly complex charm, one that even a full-grown witch would struggle to master. Please, won't you at least tell me where I can find the instructions? We've only got a few weeks before the end of term, but if that's not long enough, I'll study in the holidays and try again after Easter. I'll keep trying. I have to. Very well. I will not tell you where to find it. You were sorted into Ravenclaw and therefore capable of reason. The library catalogues are perfect. This is a Ravenclaw spell. It has never been cast. What does that tell you? Oh, you mean it's still in Ravenclaw Tower? Correct. And where do all works in progress remain until completed and tested? The shelves in the common room, of course. I should have thought of that. When you have located the spell and read it closely, we will meet again. Not tonight. Learning requires a mind refreshed by sleep. You mean, you mean you'll help me? Tomorrow at 5 a.m. in the common room, under the eye of my mother's statue. 
That should help sharpen your wits while you attempt to master some of the most complex wand work you will ever encounter. You're actually going to teach me? Oh my goodness, thank you. I will provide a demonstration as close as possible to what my mother intended. The rest is up to you. If you are teachable, we may come to an arrangement. I make no promises. I understand. I'll let you get on with your prayers now. I would be grateful. Can I ask just one more question? Very well. Why'd you come all the way up here to pray? So that I can observe the stars afterwards, of course. Jupiter is bright tonight. Look through here. Oh, yes, I see it. It's beautiful. Name its moons. What, all of them? Begin. Well, of course, there's Io, Europa, Ganymede, Callisto. Then there's Adrista, Almetha, Anik. Um, that will do. You are dismissed. I will expect you tomorrow. Hi, Scorp. Feels weird to be in here again after all this time, doesn't it? <sighs> what are we meeting here for anyway? And why does it have to be so early? I saw Rose last night. She says she's ready for charm. She's meeting us here when she's had one last practice. It's about time. How long has she been having lessons from that creepy ghost? About three months now. That still doesn't explain why I had to get up in the middle of the night. It's Saturday. I could have had another three hours in bed. The charm won't do anything on its own. We've been really slack since we got back after Easter. We've got to start working on the fountain again and figuring out how it all fits together. How are we supposed to do that? Look at it. It looks more like a heap of old stones than ever. I know. I'm sure it's smaller than I remember, too. No, it was always titchy. So where's Layla, then? If I've got to get up this early, I think everyone should have to. I'm here. Rose asked me to come and help you. Because we're too stupid to work this out on our own, I suppose. I don't understand. Well, let's see. We've got this key that's not a key, and some kind of silver belt buckle. Apparently, they've got something to do with this little stone bird bath over here. If you've got any ideas, go right ahead. Just ignore him, Layla. He got out of bed the wrong side this morning. It doesn't matter. Let's begin. See, Albus, here is that hole in the stonework. Remember, I showed it to you before. Okay, so let's start by putting the key in there. It, it's not a bad fit. Don't be stupid. It's completely the wrong shape. Slytherin's belt buckle fits loads better. Look, I'll prove it to you. Hey, be careful of the key. Anyway, what difference does it make if yours fits? It doesn't do anything. At least I know the key works. No, you don't. All you know is it opens password-protected doors. That's just a side effect. Besides, I already know how to perform a binding spell, and according to old Hufflepuff, that's my heart sorted. I don't have to do anything else. Scorpius has a point, Albus. Hufflepuff's diary said it's not a key, it's a trigger. We need more information on what that might be. I'm telling you, I've tried. I looked it up. The only reference to a trigger I could find was in a book of advanced transfiguration. I didn't understand a word of it, and then Madam Pinch chased me out of the restricted section. Hi, guys. You look tired, Rose. I haven't been getting a lot of sleep recently. 
but it's been worth it. I think I've finally got the charm straight in my head. Why don't you say it now and test it out? On its own. Don't be ridiculous, Al. Well, there's this hole in the fountain. We think one of the pieces might fit in there. And then what? It's worth a try, isn't it? Hardly. I asked you to come here this morning to see if it gave you any new ideas. This is some of the most complicated magic the founders ever came up with. We all need to understand how it works. Every last bit of it. Together. Well, do I have to suggest everything around here? I can't believe I got up at the crack of dawn just to get moaned at. Oh, that's rich. What about you, Al? Any progress? Not really, no. Sorry, Rosie. I thought you were supposed to be in charge of this so-called quest. Honestly, you're both completely useless. I don't have to stay here and listen to this. Rosie, you're not being fair. We've all done our best. I know you're tired, but... Of course I'm tired. I've been getting up every day at five in the morning to learn a spell I shouldn't be able to do until I've passed my NEWTs. What's Scorpius been doing? Watching Quidditch practices? I found Slytherin's object and broke the rules to hold on to it. What else do you want me to do? I don't care. I've had it with a pair of you. Work it out. Go and talk to someone in your houses. That's what Leela and I did, and it's got us this far, hasn't it? Professor Lombardon already told me everything he knew about the key. There's no point in me talking to my head of house. It wouldn't tell us anything. He's not even a real Slytherin. Think of something else, then. Albus could always go back and talk to the hat. After all, it's what could have stuck with this boring quest in the first place. That will not do any good. Why not? The hat cannot help us any further. Our instructions were clear. We must keep going and not give up. How can you know so much about it? Your house hasn't even got any magic of its own. Scorpius, how dare you? Rose, don't. It's of no importance. Layla's right. We just have to keep trying, and we'll get there. We've come this far. All I can see is we've done loads of hard work for nothing. Well, some of us have, anyway. You can't give up now. Can't I? Just watch me. What about the rest of us? If you go now, that's it. It's all over. The quest everything. So what? I don't give a damn about your stupid quest. You can all stay here and keep staring at your boring fountain and see where it gets you. I've had enough. That went well. Nice job persuading him, Al. Rose, please, let's not quarrel. Bit late for that, isn't it? I've had it with Scorpius. Selfish, stuck-up git. I don't know what's got into him lately. Uh, just leave it, would you, Rose? Oh gosh, what did I say? Albus is just upset. You shouldn't worry about it. You don't understand. Al's never shouted at me like that before. It surprised you? Yes. You told him he was useless. Oh dear, I did, didn't I? You were goading him on purpose to make him try harder. No wonder he is angry. I knew Al had a temper, but I've never seen him so furious. Scorpius has left, abandoned the quest. Albus has failed. He feels ashamed. And now the boys aren't talking to one another? It's all my fault. No, it isn't your fault. You have worked tirelessly, done everything possible. Give me your hand. Thanks, Leela. You're a good friend. Listen to me, Rose. We can do nothing more. Albus is unsure of himself, and Scorpius is full of false pride. It's up to them now. They must overcome their differences if we are to finish the quest. Which means nothing will happen. The poor fountain. It's all over. Don't lose hope. We have a few weeks left. But exams start in two days. Then it's the Quidditch final, and then it's the end of term. If the boys don't make up before we go home for the summer, 
they probably never will don't cry rose you need rest that's all come on let's get some breakfast next time albus rose scorpius and layla face their darkest and most difficult challenge yet Will Scorpius be able to overcome his pride to seek help from a hated source? And will Albus dare to risk his own safety and the lives of his friends in order to fulfill his quest? All will be revealed in the sixth and final episode of Albus Potter and the Founder's Fountain. This week's episode of Albus Potter and the Founder's Fountain featured the voice talents of Matt Armstrong, Susie B., Caroline Fonseca, Eric Lessinger, Izzy Martin, Stacey Murano, Rachel Proudfoot, and Nicole Slavin. It was produced by Angela Hohenstein, Becky Maturo, Joe Mativier, Rachel Proudfoot, Christy Feedy, Rachel Proudfoot, Christy Feedy, and Kevin Toma. Who's the Half-Blood Prince? Who? That's what it says right here. This book is property of the Half-Blood Prince. All right, we are here with Half-Blood Bits. Oops, I mean Princely Pieces. (laughs) Oops, I mean whatever we're calling it. Princely Pieces, taking Half-Blood Prince a piece or a bit at a time. So our very first piece, our very first bit, is the movie's opener. We get our music back, and we're going to go all the way through... Uh, that cute little flashback at the ministry all the way through um, where um, Harry is hitting on that waitress in an inappropriate uh, forward fashion. She was too tall for him. For a boy his age. And uh, there's, there's something in the middle of that. What was in the middle of all that? The attack on London, London Bridge. Oh, right, yeah. Poor Muggle London getting torn up. <laughs> they're always, oh, yeah. always beating on Muggle London. I know. Well, Okay. Let's talk about this for a second. Can we talk about the opening, opening the, mm-hmm. the Dumbledore shot, which I loved and which like gave me a nice spoonful of hope going into it. I really liked it too. I didn't, I didn't care for it. You didn't care for it? Yeah, I didn't care for it. Why not? For, for what? Why? I was expecting this to open up with the Dursleys. Oh, please. Really? Oh, no. no, I'm just trying to be controversial, but that was okay. He was trying to make it fun of cool. my my thing, wanting the Dursleys, but that that's I I thought it was that's no. not what I was doing. Sue. It was nice opening I though. I thought it was beautifully. Too. One thing that David Yates does that I really like is his ability to do montage kind of these singular like moments that are beautiful, and they get these like encapsulated moments. And I thought that opening shot of Dumbledore and the different flash bulbs going on, and you can see the emotion in Harry's face. I thought that was beautifully shot with the black and white. And I agree, I thought that was a very powerful moment. It was nice. But they could have... I thought it was really cool because it was the perfect... And you've ne- we've never actually called back to the, the previous movie hmm. um, so directly before. And, and to pull a little moment out from like the fifth movie where they transition from that ministry scene to, like, the newspaper montage, actually go right back to that spot and say, like, oh, well, you know, while that newspaper montage was happening, here's what Harry was looking at. And um, and then throwing in a little bit of Dumbledore's uh, visible affection, quote, uh, to Harry there. All very, all very good things. It's very effective. Was it made clear though that 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 Sirius Black 
because I've only seen it once and it went by so fast for me. Did did they did it like reflect the end of it good enough? Do you think for people that didn't? No, I don't think it was. I think the perp the whole purpose, which they kept pretty strict to, like I don't think it was serving um, okay. a reminder of the previous film. I think it was more to say give a flag for the overall theme of the film, which is about this relationship between Harry and Dumbledore. Oh, okay. And it was almost like saying, yes, I know we haven't really done this in any other movie, but this is what we're doing now. So can you go with, go there with us? Please do. Yeah. yeah. What I really liked you know? about it too, is that just for like the fans, like the book fans, it kind of set in the, in that what 45 seconds, it really set the mood and the tone of Harry being bombarded with the whole label and burden of chosen one, chosen one, chosen one, chosen one, without us having to get fed that too much of that exposition. You know what I mean? So that when they did have to bring that up in the story, it was kind of like, oh, it just kind of like, I guess that 45 seconds, just the, like the slow motion, the, the camera turn, the color palette, Dumbledore, like embracing Harry, really just gave an emotional palette for just the burden and like the weight of the media on his shoulders. You know what I mean? And they, they were able to communicate that in my opinion, in like 45 seconds, which I really, really enjoyed. Like you said, it kind of, it set yeah. the tone, which I don't know. I liked. Yeah. And, and, and it felt really grown up as far as like, Hey, I'm watching a grown up movie and I'm at Harry Potter. This is cool. Something about it just, just seemed raw and, and real. And, uh, and, less like a children's movie than any of the other openings. Well, going out of that, how did we go out of that scene? Did we like, was that the camera transition? Cause I thought it was really cool. And I, I don't, again, I, my memory on this is, is vague, but I thought the way that they took the black, sm- I know everyone's complaining about the black smoke, but I thought the camera shots of the smokes of people like the muggles, the muggles, people having coffee or whatever in the, in the shop. And, and then, you know, the smoke bombs, things coming in. I thought that was a, awesome intense scene beautifully done with the camera like there was one time i felt like yeah. i was on a roller coaster you know there, there were kind of three openings to the movie there was yeah. the, the dumbledore flashback then there was the millennium bridge and then you get to harry in the you know in the shop um was that before I, I, the, the that was before the the cafe scene right that's what yeah this yeah, all okay. happened before the cafe scene. Yeah, the cafe scene yeah I liked how they turned into wind, how they turned yeah. into, you sort of saw what the muggles saw, which is, they think it's a natural disaster. <laughs> yeah. I was going to, yeah. they turned to the black smoke like halfway through, like the black smoke turns transparent halfway through mm-hmm. them attacking the bridge. I like how they don't notice like the black smoke at first, but I'm just being silly. Right. Because they can't, you know, it would have been weird. But. One thing I seen that, that about the scene that I thought was lame. And it's it's kind of like a running critique I have of the movie, um, is that you know they have a newspaper headline later in the film that says death toll rising from bridge attack or whatever, but they go out of their way to make sure every single bloody person is off this bridge before it collapses. You don't see anybody falling into the water. I don't see anything that could have been. Anything that would have caused death amongst and I kind of wanted like a barbed wire to like whip someone's head off. <laughs> but you nothing but, that gory. <laughs> but let some people fall into the water. Make it look scary. Yeah, uh, make it, it scary. Make it, make it seem like this is actually a traumatic thing that happened to them. This is they were you know terrorizing the city. But yet, okay, well let's keep the bridge up long enough for everybody to get off. See, 
Yeah, I, I see what your point is on that, but I thought the, the death toll might have been too. Wasn't that seen in a magical newspaper, which is one of my issues with the movie, and that wouldn't, that, wouldn't necessarily be about like what happened in Diagon Alley, because I thought the scenes in Diagon Alley were very stark, and that was it was so, when you saw Fenrir grabbing Ollivander, you knew what was happening, and you could see the people on the ground. I thought those were the bodies. Was Was that supposed to be muggles that were killed? What am I? Were they killed in the? In I mean, the they were. Diagonal? They're showing a picture of the bridge. Oh, okay. In Diagon Alley, maybe maybe the inference is that if there were people inside the shop, they, but they couldn't have been because Ollivander was inside the shop and they got out of there with him. Yeah, you know. I so I don't know. It just seemed like there was so much explosion. I mean, that shop just like was blown yeah. to hell. So I just didn't know that anybody could survive in that. I, I like that they took the, the the time to to like there was a Death Eater with a lot of wands under their arm, and because they're so arrogant and. Yeah. ignorant of magical practices they don't realize that that's no way to pick a wand you don't have a pile of four and yeah. pick the one you like yes. you know it's not like that but that it just underscores the ignorance and the wand lore and i have a feeling um especially since they took the time to showcase kidnapping Ollivander, that they're gonna do the wand lore pretty well in seven Probably. right well they cast they cast both him and grindelwald so i mean well john hurts back is is Ollivander, and they cast grindelwald so i think that i think you're right, Molly. I'm excited for that. Well, one thing not not to not to fly past, but the the cool bit about this scene too, as there's a very cool side of it as opposed to the lame side, is that with a fly through of Muggle London <sighs> with the, ca- the camera point of view, mm-hmm. uh, showing us apparently where the break into um, the Leaky Cauldron yes. in Diagon Alley actually you find is. It? <laughs> I haven't actually. I, I see. I want to follow this up with with the uh, with the. Uh, uh, maps or Earth or whatever Google program is, and uh, see if you can see if it actually exists. Oh, that'd be cool, John. They, do that. It looks like it, it looks like. I mean, and they, I bet they asked Joe. You know, they had to have. Be like, where should they? Where should we break into? What streets are we looking at? Because I thought some of this looked familiar. Like, yeah. I think some of this stuff. One of it you know? was, um, I think it was Trafalgar Square that we saw, or maybe it was what's the one with that big tall. The big obelisk that right in the yeah. center. Yeah, like they get the lion on top of it or something. Yeah, yeah. We drove by. I remember when we rode through there too. I, I think so. I think it is Trafalgar Square though, right, Melly? Yeah, I'm, I'm I think it's, sure. it's either there or very, very nearby. Oh, near the palace, there was another. There was a lot of like those circle things. But yeah. oh, cool, John, do it. I want to see that. That would be fun. I want to figure it out. It's so fun. It would be really cool. I, I think the thing was hilarious that the that theaters didn't bother to like stop and come out of their smoky uh, yeah. you know form and tap the bricks yeah. and then go back yeah. to smoky <laughs> form. Like, they just this. busted right through like screw this. Yeah. This is enchantment's not keeping us out. Yeah. We're just gonna And it shows you how, how much stronger the enchantment is on Hogwarts that they busted right through Diagon Alley. Oh yeah. And, you know? Totally. Hmm. True. Totally. Mm. Enchantment on Hogwarts. I kills love that bugs. bit when they when they hit the the force field. Yeah. Well, let's get to Terrible. that. All right. Anyway, well, let's stay in the timeline here. Anyway, so Death Theaters attack, but actually not managed to hurt anybody in Muggle London. I don't know that. I don't <laughs> know that at all. That's what it looks like. Come on. So surely that's always what it is. I don't. I don't see. I mean, unless there's some whole other things happening that wasn't filmed, like. But you just—it's just you're making assumptions. You can't make assumptions with confidence. You can only make assumptions. You can just make. You can say this is what I think, and somebody else can say this is what I think, and either one of you are more right or wrong. So. Well, I'm always right. Of course. There's there's a picture of the darn newspaper of the of the bridge and everything happening in there, and it says death toll rising. Maybe people trying to repair the bridge died. Hmm. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe. I'm just saying. You don't know for sure. And the fact that they tried to put, that they put in something called Death Toll Rising. I mean, they didn't show us somebody dying, but they clearly tried to indicate that the, the things are things that are happening are fatal. So, what if someone you know, died you from think a one heart thing, attack? Somebody else thinks another thing. Neither one of you are right. Like, what if someone you know? it was stress induced death like is- due to the stress of them having been on the bridge? <laughs> hmm? Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. everybody's having heart attacks once they get to the sidewalk. You don't know. I, you I don't say this know. because I feel like they pulled they pulled a lot of scary punches, and yeah. seeing people fall into the water would have been scary. And a lot of the other things in the movie that would have been scary did somehow ended up not in the movie. Well, I think the inferior. This were was the first scary. instance. You what? I think the inferior were pretty scary. No, I, I have no idea how they actually back. looked like people. What, John? And they would have been a lot scarier had they actually looked like people. Yeah, if they did, though, they would have looked. I read an article. They would have looked too many zombies. Something. But you know, they they went out of their way to make sure they did not look like zombies. That was like they looked at every other zombie movie available, and to to get visual reference of what's been done as far as zombies and what's been done as far as um, what's that movie um, with Will Smith, I Am Legend. Those creepy, dark-seeking-looking guys. They looked at all of this stuff to come up with what they did, and um, yeah, I mean, we know we know they've cut, but I don't think it would have been as scary. We know they've cut stuff. We know, like like the grayback line: "Don't you smell clean or something?" Oh yeah, I can't wait to get to that bit. Princely piece. Can you grayback doesn't speak once in the whole movie? Well, that's what I'm wondering. How did Harry get his wand back after the inferi scene? Uh, we have a long time before we're talking about that, don't we? I know. Wait, can you vanish a wand? Stay with. I don't think so. Because why expel your armor so when you can just vanish it? You know what I mean? Evanesco? Why why duel anybody when you can transform them into a slug or whatever like Percy it, did? It's difficult, I gotta imagine. It's blockable. Because he, had a, he did a complicated like... little twist and everything. So I think yeah. Isn't in the dueling battle, faster, not too, many people can right? have that amount yeah. level of concentration when they're fighting. Yeah. Plus, dueling's faster, right? Frankie, I would think it would be more immediate to... Yeah. I, would t- I think yeah, I it would so, take yeah. longer to do the... Yeah. You go, Expelliarmus, Pacific Totalis, and then vanish the wand. Combo. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> Next. Kill. So, everything's blown up. Bridge, blah, blah, blah. Harry in a coffee shop. Coffee shop. Talks to the cute girl. All right. <laughs> Here's Harry. Go ahead, Sue. Unleash. Because mm, I already unleashed you. last week, and I just still, still, I wanted, to, okay, if they have to cut the other minister, fine. You know? Okay, fine. They have to cut the Dursleys. Okay. Here's, you know what's different the, about this? The whole funny, coffee shop? Not only- Why is he hitting on a waiter? Why? Why? Well, she hit on him. She hit on okay. him. If he Harry did, was he at a coffee nothing. shop, it just, this is realistic. Oh, this is what would happen. If he was at the coffee shop, that's realistic. The big thing here is that you're completely changing the beginning of you know and, and Harry's uh, character. Because you know at this point, Harry is sad about Sirius. Sad about not getting any letters from his friends the whole summer, and is locked up at the Dursleys, and you know, moody and depressed, and this is contributing to his whole demeanor throughout. You know, what's happening here? And now, now we have a Harry who apparently has freedom of walking around Muggle London, riding the trains, does whatever he wants, hitting on girls, and completely different person. He doesn't. He's more fun. He's it's it's neat, but it's it's it's. Well, they can't. They they kind of handle that a little differently. 
because with with Dumbledore's line, like you've been reckless, Harry, and he's like, I like riding on trains, and like that makes me see, like I get the feeling that he's wistful, like he doesn't want to be there, so he says, screw it, excuse my French, I'm just gonna like, so he just rides a train around, he just he doesn't care, and like that's and it, I mean, it's, it's, it's making a, him it's kind a, of like, I don't know, a little uh, what's the term? Um, I don't know. He's like out of control, just a smidge. You know, he's reading the Daily Prophet yeah. out and open. He's riding trains yeah. when he it's, shouldn't. He's being the idiot. He's being reckless. That's what I meant. Like being a rebel. And so, he's like being proactive. Well, he's he's not being proactive <laughs> when he's riding a train. He's being. He's. <laughs> but he's he's not he's not being passive by just you know staying at Thursdays, being depressed. He's being emo proactive by wistfully yeah. riding trains and reading the newspaper in you know like. But then he's waiting for Dumbledore, so you, we don't know what else he would have been doing. So, like, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, it's kind of like, it's just, it's good for film, and it's good for the marketing, and like, oh, Harry's... Well, I know it's being picky. I, oh, I know, and then I'm being fine. picky, too. I'm just saying, like, like I really, but though I, I may, maybe I'm I'm attached to that line, because I really like the concept um, of... of uh, of him riding trains randomly. I mean, that, that was just like really kind of, I think it was a really good insight on his character. Like, wow, he might do that. You know, like trains was his escape from the Dursley. So now he just rides trains when he can, because he doesn't want to deal with them. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed that concept. Can you refresh my memory quickly? What happened at the end of book five in the book when Harry came back off the train? Who did he run into? Was he was the there with waiting the whole order of the Phoenix and they, or... they threatened them. And, mm-hmm. and did they say anything about, you know, Stay with the Dursleys. It's not safe. In the book, run off on your own. No, but no, but Dumbledore. That's implied, though. um, Dumbledore always, you know, just mm -hmm. no, but that's Dumbledore told him about in the book about the enchantment that he had to stay at the Dursleys. You know, but he doesn't really in the movies at all. So no, he doesn't at all. No. I know. I think I'm just. I have a whole love affair with that that line. I really, really enjoy it. Like that was one of my favorite lines from the film. Uh, not favorite lines, but just like additional, like extra canon stuff that didn't bug me. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And like the whole fish thing too was like, oh, that's cool. Even though it wasn't in the book, I really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. it and thought it was, you know, in context with the character. Oh yeah, that that was a beautiful addition to Slughorn's character. I agree, Frankie. That was that gave a lot of insight, and I thought it was it was a good way to. Uh, I'm waiting for you to draw it, Frankie. Oh, that'd be fun. To, that would be fun to draw. Oh, I still want to go. I still want to argue. Can muggles read the Daily Prophet? And I just. I think so because they can see they they can can see the moving pictures. See, this is what I think. I think everybody is on is on a bit of a scale. Everybody has is is no it's not either magical or non magical squib or non squib. There's like a scale where you fall. You know, most magical lesson. You know. Yeah. And certain ones you'd be a definite squib, and certain ones you'd be a definite muggle. And but but. There are people who maybe have a little bit and they don't know it. If she was a full magic person, she'd just see that. She'd see that thing moving. Right. All she says is, a couple of nights ago, I could have sworn I saw a picture move. And we know that she was right in front of him when all these pictures were moving three seconds ago. Clearly, she's not seeing this magazine. She might see a glimpse of something maybe a little bit once out of all this time. You know? I see yeah, it more so her- like... In the, it was something in the third one. They're talking about how muggles, they don't see anything, do they? Like, they're blithely unaware of it, but if they actually took the time to remove specu- like uh, skepticism, right. 
They could, right. they, they like, they are physically able to see it. It's just a, it's a, it's a mental thing that they don't like, oh, it's like, oh, that can't happen. So they refuse to believe that it did happen. Not the fact that they're unable to see it. Because I think so, certain enchantments might ref- – like if there's an enchantment uh, on the Daily Prophet that protects it from muggle eyes, then yeah, that's that's another thing. But just like – I don't know because it would be like Harry's – I mean it would be like Hermione's parents being able to read the Daily Prophet when she gets it at home. I think they could see it fine and they would be more – yeah, like they would believe it because they know their daughter has yeah. magic. I mean they've been diagonally, you know. Yeah. But, you know okay, what I mean? so did – yeah. So did she guess then that he's Harry Potter? Is that was it the implication that she figured out that he's Harry that they were talking about? Oh, I, I don't so? think so. Oh, no. Okay. I, I, think- I mean, I just for me, I just think it was uh, just kind of she's just making she's just flirting, you know. Okay. I just okay. I did love the scene though. I thought that that is one of my favorite shots from the whole movie. Is Dumbledore standing there looking at that poster of Divine Magic? Yeah, that, that yeah, was what a awesome. Cheeky, what a <laughs> cheeky poster! It was. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I thought it was hysterical that he just showed up when he did, like when the train was was driving by, and and then poof. Well, you see him. You see him flickering in and out a bit first. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I thought it was hysterical. All I right, laughed. Well, I hate to be a party pooper, but my gosh, this is twenty minutes already, and we are. I know. That's right when we were supposed to end okay, it in then. 20 minutes. Oh, cool. Perfect. So then let's go on to the Potter Pundits, and we will see you guys in the drum. Woohoo! Woohoo! Well, hello and welcome to Potter Pundits. This is where we have fun talking about Harry Potter seriously. And we've got a couple of Potter Pundits here with us. We've got John Granger, author of several books on the Harry Potter series. Uh, he's been writing about it since 2003. His most recent is Harry Potter's Bookshelf. Hello, John. Hi, Travis. How are Hi. you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Very good. Very good. We also have James Thomas with us. James Thomas is a professor at Pepperdine. He has written Repotting Harry Potter, and and he is here with us as well and ready to talk about Harry Potter and taking the book seriously. Hello, James. How are you, Travis? I'm doing great, and you? Fine. And I'm Travis Prinz, the author of Harry Potter and Imagination, uh, The Way Between Two Worlds, and editor of Hogshead Conversations, which is an essay collection. just came out about a week ago, actually. So here we are. We're ready to talk Harry Potter. And the first question that needs to be asked, and I'll point this one to John, is what is a Potter pundit? Wow. Uh, well, it's it's alliteration, Travis. It's <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's something like, it's something like uh, Peter Pettigrew or... Peppermint Patty, or I guess I guess with with uh, James here, Professor Thomas, we have to say profound Pepperdine professor or something. There you go. That, <laughs> more seriously, a, a Potter pundit, to my imagination, is a serious reader. is a is a Potter fan who's read the books more than more than twice. Let's say it's let's say someone's gone two or three times through that forty one hundred pages, and is curious about exploring some of the themes. Some of the literary techniques, some of the things that uh, Joanne Rowling has borrowed from previous writers. I, I, I'm I'm the alchemy guy, right? So if if uh, for an example, for what a Potter pundit would talk about, it would be literary alchemy and how, say, Shakespeare uses literary alchemy in Romeo and Juliet, and then how Dickens uses it in Tale of Two Cities, as the, the way C.S. Lewis uses it in Paraland, and then how Rowling uses it and how it's very different. In all those, I mean, there's 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 three pretty bizarre books, four four bar, bizarre sets and plays, and say, how is it how is it different? How is it the same? What does that tell us about how it means? And do that with a bunch of different topics, uh, trying to explore this thing at a, at a little different level than um, 
do we really like Michael Gammon's portrayal of Albus Dumbledore in the movie? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just for yeah. that question. <laughs> John, John is the uh, alchemy guy, and uh, I feel like I'm becoming the, the foreshadowing or the, the pun guy. Uh, in, in my going back through and in preparation for repotting Harry Potter, I really seem to uh, to concentrate on those and I got an email from one reader who who sort of dubbed me that. But but yeah, John, I agree totally. A pundit, like a political pundit, uh, one who ponders and and pontificates maybe, but uh, is uh, preoccupied, sort of on an ongoing basis, with a serious return to the books. And I think, even though most uh, readers and most listeners will know this without my having to say it, but serious doesn't mean somber and boring. It just means you're 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 understanding that this literature was seriously crafted and many things were were uh, consciously uh, and with premeditation encoded and so it's given all these things uh, for us to decode as we see fit over the years. Now we talk about this follow-up to James. We talk about all this decoding. We talk about John's talking about Dickens and Shakespeare and kind of an academic reading of these books. Is this is this really a conversation worth having or is there a danger of uh, analyzing all the fun out of the books? I don't think so. Not given these books, um, I, I don't. I don't see that has happened at all in any of the classes I've conducted so far. And the, the kids, the students, still seem to have so much enjoyment going back through. And I don't think we're being overly analytical or overly ingenious too often. If we are, I'm probably guilty of it. I think I called it in my book overthinking or OTing on a passage. But uh, no, I really don't think so. It's just like any other rich, rich text. It's just such uh, such nice, ample rewards for going back through one more time through. And I enjoy comparing uh, the, the rolling books to those that I've read and and reread many times and studied myself and taught over the years, which I, I enjoy doing from time to time, from the smallest to the largest thing, the, the toast to, to, to Cedric Diggory, and I always give the students a copy of A.E. Houseman's To an Athlete Dying Young, and, and we, oh, we talk about these things together constantly. Hmm. Hmm. I, mean, I, I would, yeah, I agree with that. As long as you don't require it, <laughs> the only, only yeah. way that we can make this painful is if someone says, well, tonight you've got to read the last 300 pages of Goblet, and um, write me a short paper on this. I mean, it's so long as this is still voluntary, it's yeah. it's a lot of fun. Uh, oh yeah, you can teach the life out of anything, and it's probably <laughs> been done to most of us. And you know, the old Joe, go home tonight and read uh, the Glass Menagerie, and tomorrow come to class with a list of 142 identifiable symbols in the Glass Menagerie. <laughs> What's happened to the enjoyment of William's play when you're doing an exercise like that? <laughs> and, and seriously, you can. As Wordsworth puts it, you, you can murder uh, to dissect. You, you can really mm-hmm. uh, tear something apart and, and, and uh, break it down. But because we're talking about a comic set of novels, it gives mm-hmm. itself to more of a good-humored, light approach. And I hope that's what we'll be doing here, Travis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think we're long on the pages uh, without some comic relief. And we're in my experience, we haven't been long in the classroom without some comic relief. So... Uh- John, you've you've been doing this since 2003, as I already mentioned. Uh, I'm the old man, right? (laughs) What is the response been when you show up places? Let's talk about back then when you first started, because you were one of the first, maybe the first, to start saying, this is serious literature. People like them because they're so good, was your basic thesis at the beginning there. What was the response you got at the time when you said, I'm going to come along and talk about these books seriously, academically, uh, explore these things we've been talking about? Well, it's pretty different. I mean, the first the first uh, 
big fan convention I went to was Nimbus 2003 in Orlando. And I talked there about literary alchemy, which was really a novel concept to most Harry Potter readers at the time. They, they uh, certainly didn't have Rowling's comment about alchemy then. Uh, and so it was, was John making this up? Uh, which I still hear, by the way. That's, that's right. And it, it, uh, the people there were astonished. The people there were astonished that the books they liked so much actually were so well-crafted that it could be discussed at that level. And, and it's still a lot of fun, but uh, wow, Rowling isn't just writing a story that engages me. Uh, it isn't just the, the surface line that there's deeper levels to this. Well, since then, you know, I've, I've given lectures at Princeton, at Yale, at the University of Chicago, I mean, at Pepperdine, and uh, people there aren't surprised that these books are that good. They expect now that the conversation will be about um, what Rowling is doing as, uh, as, an, as an artist, as someone who has, is uh, crafting these works, as working at multiple levels. Uh, and they want to learn they expect that the conversation will be about that. And so, yeah, we've gone through a sea change from are these books the gateway to the occult to uh, um, show me how these books help me get deeper into English literature, which really quite, quite the nice change. I did, I did do an interview yesterday with the Moody Bible uh, people on radio and had a flashback to 2002 of where the, you know, some Harry haters called in and, and really, you know, we, I had to go through the whole thing about uh, – incantational magic versus invocational magic. I, I hadn't done that, I, I don't think, in two or three years. I, it was really kind of, it was, uh, it was, it was startling uh, hmm. because the conversation has gotten so much better. It hasn't been whether we should read them. It was about how much can the text sustain a, a, a conversation at depth. And, and we haven't really plumbed it yet, I don't think. No, I don't but think John, so were, were your callers yesterday uh, non-readers? Non-readers, as a rule. Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about the problems yeah. of non-readers, James. Yeah. Just a slight problem. I, I just <laughs> I don't see how anyone can have a conversation about something, or let's say a debate, and one side is thoroughly familiar with the item being discussed or debated, and the other one has not an inkling, and in this case maybe hasn't read a single word of the 4,100 pages. That is, that is of paramount importance, to have read the entire series and to, to know – uh, to, to, to have the big picture before you start a discussion or a debate. And personally, I have not yet encountered a hairy hater, to use the, the uh, uh, short two-word phrase for it, and I know that's an overgeneralization, but I haven't encountered someone who uh, denigrates and talks disparagingly of the books who's read all 4,100 pages. And in my book, I use this acronym, which half the time I can't even remember what it means myself, but PRUBON, D-R-U-B-O-N, that stands for uh, presumed reader unworthiness based on non-reading. And when you start there, I don't know how we have a conversation. Yeah, it seems impossible yeah. to argue with somebody who hasn't actually read from start to finish. But, you know, that, that person is, is really relatively rare nowadays, mm-hmm. especially in, in – in, uh, I shouldn't say that. I mean I'm sure in, in James's circles. But when you go to a Harry Potter convention, you're talking about yeah. has the person read the book more than – the series more than five times. Yeah. And people who are listening to this podcast – are say well, why are we talking about those people? Because this really is the shared text. Yeah. Uh, you can talk about these books uh, almost universally. You can start conversations in the subway. You can start conversations at the grocery store. Uh, if you wear a Harry Potter T-shirt or a button, almost everyone that you meet has has experienced of. Uh, the, the full cycle of the story. Well, uh, yeah, if only, yeah. maybe, maybe only in the movie, but they really have some experience of the story. And so you're talking about 
it's as if you've all traveled to the same place. Hey, I went to the same resort in the Caribbean, and there's some sort of special memory about that experience that they want to they want to talk about it so they can re-experience it more profoundly. I guess that's what we're really about here is is that is exploring the shared text of our generation. And it's even assumed in the culture. I mean, if you're familiar with shows like House MD or The Office, there are fairly regular Harry Potter references and jokes on those shows, mm-hmm. which means <laughs> the writers of those shows assume their entire audience has read uh, and will laugh at the joke. So you, mm-hmm. you see it everywhere. It's pretty much assumed that Harry Potter is common knowledge now. There was a man who wrote for Rolling Stone who said that he hadn't read Harry Potter and he hadn't seen the movies, and he knew that this made him a dinosaur. That in the next mm-hmm. 10 years, all the people that had grown up reading these stories were going to, just like the Trekkies and the Star Wars people, they were going to lace everything that they did with references to that. And there'd be a reflection of it. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't read, I mean, I think James will confirm this, you can't read 18th century novels except through the prism of Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that basically, she, she creates this block now as to, as, to, as to what those books are really about because she's the end. And right now, I think culture is going to be framed in terms of this, all, this shared experience that we have through Joanne Rowling's books. Well, with we uh, re-readers on one side of the spectrum and those uh, condemnatory non-readers, uh, at least a couple of whom surfaced yesterday for John, on the other <laughs> side of the spectrum, I think there's a danger in between, two of those who think they know all they need to know about Rowling and don't need to read anymore because, and then they have these various combinations of I've read two of the books and seen three of the movies or something like that. And <laughs> again, that's, that is just not what to me is experiencing the, the, the singular 4,100-page saga or novel, which I think of it as collectively. There's no yeah, substitute I, I, for that. And, and I think it's because the, the having read the whole thing, having especially if you've experienced it through rereading, is that we we get the uh, that there's more to it? Mm-hmm. The, the first time through it, you get the surface story, you get the narrative line, and you get usually the morality uh, that, that that's really built into the narrative line. But you're not going to get the allegorical. You're not going to get the real anagogical. Wow, the you know, the pop of of uh, Rowling's more profound meaning. Uh, right. You get yeah. you get that through rereading. And you don't get it. You certainly can't get it consciously. No, nobody goes through the book and gets everything the first time through it because, as you said, as James said, so much of it is references, self-referencing. I mean, at the beginning and the end of every book, she references the end and the beginning. And of course, you're not going to get that the first time you read the beginning. Oh, this must be what the ending is about. That's, I mean, nobody, nobody can do that. C.S. Lewis talked about uh, the surprise being one great thing, but a book that has a quality of surprisingness where it's better the second time around, that's what marks a really great book. And that's what says to me that these books are really great books. Yeah, I would say amen to that wholeheartedly. There, there's no test quite like It's such a simple test. And and uh, and so easily done if if one has the time and and has the inclination to reread a book that many think is very good or great instead of continuing to read for the first and only time uh somewhat superficial plot oriented literature just do it just try it go go through even if you uh if you you're a veteran of all 4100 pages but that was 2 years ago and you haven't picked them up since the summer of 07 just try it, and and I think be amazed from the first mention of Sirius Black's motorcycle uh, to about two hundred other times that you'll say, "Ah, that's it. I see that now." <laughs> that's right. I mean, I mean, seriously, you can read a book like it's eating an eclair or riding a bicycle. I mean, you read an eclair, you don't say, "I'm going to do this again." You, you've you've eaten the eclair. I mean, it's over. Yeah. And and, and yeah. if someone offered it to you again, you'd be like, "I've just eaten that." I mean, but riding a bicycle, you don't say, 
hey, I rode that once. Mm-hmm. I, I did that. I don't, I don't need to ride a bicycle again. You know that the more that you ride it, the better you are at it, the more enjoyment you get out of it. I mean, it's, 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 and, you, and you know there's, there are better bike riders. There's the Lance Armstrongs, and then there's your five-year-old kid or whatever. I mean, there's, and that's what reading is like, that especially if you do the same text repeatedly and then reference the text that build into it. I mean, that, that gives you a, uh, yeah, a much more of a wow experience, a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah sure does. So as we're rereading these books and as we're talking about them as Potter pundits and as people are listening in, what kind of subjects from here on out, because we're running out of time today already, believe it or not, uh, what kind of subjects from here on out do you expect us to be talking about just to give people an idea of, of what they'll be hearing about when they tune into Potter pundits? Well, Travis, you're the, you're the Fabian socialist guy. Why don't you, why don't you tell me something? Oh, I, hey, you, politics, sex, and religion, right? All the things we're not supposed to talk about. I, mean, yeah, I, I said was, that. I said that at Ascatraz. I got up there at the beginning of my second talk, my Fabian socialism talk, and I said you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. And for some reason, at every one of these conferences, I show up and talk about religion and politics. <laughs> Right, and if James will talk about sex, we'll have everything. I mean, Perfect. I mean, I mean, seriously, your your talk on Fabian socialism is a wow because you 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 own the allegorical level of meaning in these these things. As far as I'm concerned, you're the, you're the young lion that really doped out what rolling is about politically, and that's we we have to talk about that. I mean, and I have people that when I talk about the you know the Christian content in the books, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But if you say to me, come on, John, it's really about sex. If you go to that bathroom scene in Chamber of Secrets, you know, here's, here's these guys in the girls' bathroom, and all they're interested in is getting, you know, going down the tube uh, you know, with, their, with their wands. You know, I mean, I'm like, okay, I, I get it, guys. Big, big serpents. Okay, I get it. You know? uh, but, but, so we'll talk about sex. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about religion. I'd, I'd like to talk sometime about uh, parallels to well-known literary classics, uh, uh, and what I've been thinking about lately, since I recently taught a course on Poe, is the preoccupation of Poe's narrators and poetic voices, as with Poe the author, the preoccupation with the death of a beautiful woman, and how permeate, uh, how this permeates the rolling books with, with regard to Harry as well as Snape, and, and other parallels like that. Uh, I, I mentioned that, that slight one there regarding Cedric Digger in that famous elegy about uh, a young person dying so young before his time, but a lot of little things too. She describes uh, Rowling describes Voldemort's eyes as blank and pitiless at one point, and Yeats is the second coming uh, has the phrase blank and pitiless as the sun. And I would think it's a pretty good bet that Rowling knows Yeats's best poetry pretty well. So I'd like to pursue a few things like that. Well, and the preoccupation with a beautiful woman is a good example of the kind of thing that I think a lot of people want to hear about because that gets to the Snape story, which I think some people were unsatisfied with in Deathly Hallows, but the serious reading of Harry Potter, bringing in other literature, fills out Snape's uh, story and death so much in a way that, as John, you talked about uh, in your books and in your conferences, uh, Rowling expected us to know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there, Snape's death is taken straight from the end of Dante's Purgatorio, the, yeah. the critical scene about whether Dante gets into paradise. And if you don't know that, you know, Snape's death can seem kind of a, huh? Wait a minute, that, that was the big plot line and he just dies? Yeah. Uh, but if, if you know a little bit of Dante, that's a big help. If you don't, then, then we'll have to talk about that. I'm definitely tuning in when James talks about Poe. That's, that's going to be a wow program. Uh, th- there are some things I want, I, I want to talk about, some, some uh, neglected rolling signatures as a writer. I mean, it's, she, we talked a bit about you know, how, how she does these perambrations or foreshadowing in the first pages of every book. But she also does that in chapters where she'll set up the chapter with a specific scene 
and it'll be kind of mysterious to be like you know these uh, snarfalophagus pods pouncing around or whatever and you're trying to figure out what that's about and there's a, and there's a huge payoff at the end of the chapter where she's mm-hmm. where this seems to be just a uh, a throwaway setting sort of a comic backdrop but in, instead it has a meaning which which really um, establishes where she's headed um, mm-hmm. and that that kind of artistry is a is a signature of her. I don't I don't know many authors that, that pull off that kind of thing as as masterfully as she does. It's comic. Well, you called, and yet it, it, it's, you it's called her in print the the queen of genre busting. I think you said one yeah. one of your books. <laughs> yeah. uh, she she may not be the queen of foreshadowing, but she's in the royal court. I'll tell you that. <laughs> the anticipatory passages, large and small, they are amazing. They're leaves right. of them. And I, I'd like to talk too about the, the genre. Obviously, Harry Potter's bookshelf is largely about genre, but. Um, Travis, you've written about the Gothic as well, and, and it's something which is is fairly neglected. Is that Rowling? I mean, she's writing a schoolboy novel. I mean, that, that's what we've got is is this tired pedestrian genre. But she reanimates it so dynamically by by lacing stuff into it. You know, we've got the alchemical scaffolding for the, you know this Shakespeare stuff, but really the Gothic pieces. I mean, it's, some of it's really comic. You've got the the ghosts and you've got sort of the throwaway Gothic things, mm-hmm. but you also have. The really scary stuff. You've got the trips underground every year, and you've and you've got the scar and the prophecy and all all these gothic touches. And what that means? Why what, why does she do that? What does that deliver? So yeah, I'd, I'd like to have all of us chat about what we get out of the gothic pieces. And if that we she's talk throwing. about the gothic, we can talk about the sex again, actually, because the first uh, published work on gothic. Uh, elements of Harry Potter was from a, a book last year, an anthology called The Gothic and Children's Literature, and it's all about uh, gothic and grotesque representations of female sexual development. So there's another chance to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And we always are going to take that chance, right? We're always going to take that opportunity. <laughs> are, you, are you guys aware that Freud did once say sometimes a wand is just a wand? No, I'm sorry. I was a cigar, I think. <laughs> light that cigar. I like that wand. Yeah. Uh, how about you know literary chiasmus? We talk about the structure of the whole series, turning on uh, four and one paralleling seven and two paralleling six, and yeah, that's right. I mean, how, how do these books work? You know, one of the she's, she's plotted these things painfully and and uh, deliberately. What is the design? I mean, we can see the individual structure inside each book, and and but how does the whole series work together? And it's brilliant um, to look at because uh, book two was not my favorite. It was my least favorite, uh, really, until book six and then when you see the way those two parallel and how so much Mm. of book two's meaning is filled in by book six book two is one of my favorites now uh, to know she was thinking about it four books ahead of time five books ahead of time so that structure will open up a lot of those discussions as well well travis my respect for you is just hit the hit the floor here that you didn't like book two from the very beginning (laughs) uh, it's probably your best book ever i I mean seriously the, the which ending is more masterful than the chamber of secrets morality play i mean that was that was a I'd like to talk about that aesthetic heights and failings. What was what were the scenes that really worked in in Rowling's war here, or, and what didn't? I mean, she's always panned for not ha- not having uh, language, which I mean, doesn't fly to any heights. I mean, this is not uh, Tolkien or Houseman or Poe. I mean, she she doesn't she's she's pretty workmanlike in her prose. But what scenes really work? What scenes fail? Where does her language do things that it doesn't do in other places? To much to my surprise, I, I I thought at one point I did not like book five like so many millions of others didn't mm-hmm. initially. And once when I got together a presentation on what for me were the really emotionally rewarding scenes, I really surprised myself how many were in there from Molly trying to uh, deal with the Bogart and, and the, the, the Weasley's long night waiting, will Arthur live or die, Christmas on the closed ward. It, 
some powerful, powerful scenes in there. In well, let me, let me see if I can go even lower in John's respect. Until book seven, <laughs> book five was my favorite. Yeah, ah! really. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just because it was the longest one, Travis. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've made it easy on myself because from most loved to least loved for me, I simply now go with seven six five four three two one. It's easy to remember. That's right. I like yeah, that. It is simple, I can yeah. use I can use one hand and a couple of fingers on the other if I need to. <laughs> I, I mean, I wrote the book on Deathly Hallows, so I, I'm, I'm kind of obliged to go with you there, James. That, that I mean, she said the last third of, of book seven drives the whole series, and uh, that yeah. really was a masterful ending. I mean, it I, really having was. Just, having just finished the Twilight series and had had the last book kind of just leave everybody saying, "Huh, you know, where, where yeah. did that come from?" Compared to you know the buildup and the expectations. Oh for Deathly my Hallows, goodness, Imagine, was, imagine uh, the expectations. Uh, yeah. I mean, we. I said that there were only you know three things that were certain about that book was that it was going to sell a lot, um, that we were we were going to be talking about it for a long time, mm-hmm. and that everyone was going to be disappointed because I mean the book had such. I know I think I said that, that it, would, it would come out before the book was supposed to come out. We would, we would learn you know somebody would would reveal the book ending, but the the thing that I thought was certain was that everyone was going to be disappointed because. That we'd spent two years looking forward to that last book, and instead, I, I've, I've met you know very thoughtful readers that don't like the seventh book. Uh, but I read that book and thought this was the most masterful uh, tying of the knot that I've seen in series literature. I, I think it was better than the last battle. Uh, I, I mean, it really did so much more for uh, our experience of the story. Yeah, we, we've yeah. got a lot of stuff to talk about here on Potter's Pundit, and, and I hope you know if it's like this conversation. I mean, this obviously wasn't scripted, or anything. this is just the, you know, three of us chatting here. These are basically three Potter Pundit geeks talking to a world of Potter <laughs> Pundit geeks. Well, we've we've given an idea of what we're going to talk about. We've given some themes. We we'll also want to hear what other people want to talk about as well. I mean, we can generate a, an it's, endless list, but let's hear what questions other people will have too. What subjects they'll want us to tackle, and and let's start tackling them. Yep. I look, I look right. forward to this next conversation. Me too. And hopefully we're going to have some guests on as well, some other Potter Pundits, so it's not just the same three voices all the time, maybe a fourth, maybe a fifth from time to time, and, uh, and, and really get talking about these, these layers of meaning and decoding the series. Well, welcome to the drums. We've picked up a fifth Pottercaster for the drums. Oh, uh, who's here? Who is it? What's his name? Oh, my, my, oh, I'm, hi, I'm Joey Richter. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Joey Richter played Ron Weasley in the Very Potter musical. Oh, cool. Yay! Yeah, just kind of hanging out. Somebody said, we should have, did somebody say Ron Weasley? Yeah, (laughs) did somebody say Ron Weasley? I just walked in the door. (laughs) Dude, you must be getting so tired of people saying that to you. No, it's, it's, no, I'm not, I don't, I'm not getting tired of anything. I, I mean, everything now is either totally awesome or, totally awesome. or, or something like that. Something on the long lines of some show quote, quoted it yeah. in something. So every message I get is either, oh, you're so, it's very totally awesome. And I go, I know. <laughs> we heard it all summer long. Well, this is the drums. This is the part of podcast where we talk about anything for about a couple minutes at the end of the show. Yep. So. We have two two things though that we have to talk about, right? Sue, you had an announcement. Yes, um, Infinitus, the uh, n- convention that is taking place next year at uh, Universal Orlando, is registration for it is now open. So if y'all are interested in going, I think now would be the time to go because um, right now 
the prices are at their lowest price. So if you want to take advantage of the, uh, I think it's one hundred sixty-five dollars, and it's going to go up next week. Yeah. So if you want to do it, you should do it now. Um, I think we're going to be there, aren't we? Kind of. Yes, I'm we going. Are. Right. I'm going. Yay! Yes, it's going to be great. We're excited. We're excited to work with Infinitus and to and to and to do lots of leaky stuff there yes. and have a great time. <sighs> because you know what's even better though? Because the next year after that, something else is going to be there. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> What's going to be there? We Leaky openly Con. admit to the bias here, but come on, LeagueCon 2011 is, is happening in in Florida in in 11, and the reason it's in Florida again, the reason there's two back to back is that LeagueCon 11 is the weekend of the final movie, and the weekend <sighs> of the final movie. Where else do we need do we want to be? But at Hogwarts. Hogwarts. <laughs> I mean, that's baby. true. Yeah, Yay. baby. So. Plans are underway. The website's open. We are moving forward at a very swift rate. I, I expect registration to open in the next couple of months. Um, yes. Ooh. And there's going like, to be some cool things. Yes. Yes. Well, we're trying anyway. It's all very early stages, but we're still. We're trying. Yes. We're trying. We're trying. You know, and I, I, I want to bring up a point, and I know the economy is the way it is, and I'm just going to be candid here. It is a, a while away, and I know these are expensive trips to go down there, but if you put, Melissa said something the other day, and I thought it was a good point, just put 5 $10 a week, you know, if you can. Yep. You know, give up a Starbucks to help save for it, and and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, frack. And, and I know, frack goes in shock. What? It's like 75 cents a day <laughs> or something. You know. 75 so, cents yeah. a day. Just grab a few quarters. If you're in New York area, the flight down to Florida is like $200. Oh, yeah. Something like that. The The conference uh, rate won't be, won't, be, won't be at its highest much more than that. Um, you know, it's, it's it, yes, it's an expensive trip, but I think anybody you've, you've spoken to who've gone to, who went to like Econo 9, would tell right. you that it was the best money they spent this year. So, yeah. Um, at least that's the vast majority. Next year, Infinitus, though, the theme park will have been open, so it will be open. I'm excited to go there. Yeah, I can't wait. Mm, food. Oh, my God. I'm going to have a beer at the Leaky out. Cauldron. I'm hiding in the bathrooms when the place closes. Oh, man, this would be terrible. They're just going to have to wedge me out of there. <laughs> so it's closing hour. Come on. All right. Um, also, speaking of LeakyCon, the LeakyCon live album, I know that we said that it would come out at the very oh, yes. least August. August is a dream at this point because we had a couple of problems with a couple of one of the files that we were waiting for. So basically, the album had to wait till I got back from tour for it to be mastered. So it's going to be mastered soon. And we're, we're guessing October now, middle of October for it to come out. Please be patient. If you have purchased album you'll be getting an email mm-hmm. very shortly and it will explain that you'll you'll probably we're going to work out some sort of discount on jingle spells three for being so patient and having ordered the album already um, and jingle spells three is coming as well Ooh, cool i should get some my leaky points yes sure i'm sure they'd like my leaky points better than money yes <laughs> oh, they're probably doing the same thing yeah, so please thank you for your patience, and you're still getting your album. It's just, it's taking, this is not what we all do for a living. Nobody does this for a living, so this is why it takes the time that it takes. And there's also, the DVD uh, will be uh, out in time, uh, around that same time, hopefully. Um, hopefully in time cool. for Christmas. Yeah, think about the crazy Christmas gifts you're going to be able to buy. Jingle Spells 2, because we have some 2 left. Jingle Spells 2 and 3, uh, the, the LeakyCon album, and the LeakyCon DVD, just... My gosh, all your Christmas gifts are just taken care of right there, aren't they? Heck yeah. I love it. It's already Christmas at Leaky. Planning planning Jingle Spells 3 has to happen in August, so it's Christmas time. All right, well, I think it's time, John. 
Is it time? Well, I guess until next week, kids, keep twiddling those dials. The next password will be princely pieces. Mm. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good Good night. Bye. We've missed it. W-free. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. (laughs) One. Two. Three. Four. One. Two. Three. Four. Four years of podcasting and we still fail at counting. How? <laughs> the second counting. <laughs> I counted right. It's that and and the at the end goodbyes. We'll never get that right. It just it just a yeah. fact of life, Melly. It's not going to happen. Okay. <sighs> I'm just imagining Rock, a three and a half foot Hunter tall a Melissa. Too long. I can imagine she probably have and the same loud voice yelling at everybody, but three and a half feet tall, <laughs> like a little stick. She'd bang at people's shins. Me. What? <laughs> is she trying to throw me into a dark crawl? That's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I want to draw that, but I can't. I'll have to ask Frankie to. I'll commission you, Frankie. Uh, no, I think we should move <laughs> All on. All the commissions are closed. Fan art challenge of the week, everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, on. Okay, well, okay. One, two, three. Good night. Night. I did it by myself. Bye. Again. What's the word? What do we say? We, why do we stink? Ready? One, two, three. Good night. Good night. nobody, am I allowed to delay? It never matters. All I do is sync it up in editing. It's never right on, no matter well, if we count or not. Weird. Sounds better when we do it all right. Good night. Goodbye. Okay. Farewell. Good night. Hey? Good night.